0: We're going to continue this morning in the book of Mark. We're, uh, we're skipping over to chapter 2. And if you want to go back and read kind of, I think, from about verse 21 of Mark chapter 1 up to verse 13 in chapter 2, there's some great stories there. We're skipping those, not because we don't think they're important, but we're going to hit some other stories as we go that are very similar in, in nature. And then we might circle back around to a couple of those uh, stories that you'll read in between where we left off last week and where we start this week, because they are great uh, stories. But we're working on a an arc and a theme here uh, that we're we're building towards. So uh, we're not going to hit every single verse of the Gospel of Mark as we go through this series, but we're gonna we're gonna hit most of it. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna fly over here to chapter two of Mark, verse thirteen, and I just want to read the text for you. And then point a few things out, and hopefully they'll encourage you. They encourage me as I put them together, and uh, hopefully they'll speak to you as well. So here we go. In uh, verse 13. Now he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I was reading a comment someone had made on some, uh, you know, ministry stuff that I interact with and people that communicate back and forth comments, you know, blogs and things like that. And uh, it reminded me of something that I thought of earlier in the week. We, We sometimes see these stories and especially parables where Jesus tells a tale of, of differing people and their relationship to the kingdom of God, or what God is teaching, or what God intends, and I know that I have to be careful. I always tend to cast myself as the best character in the story, when most of the time, what the Bible is probably trying to teach me is to to, to dig out the negative parts that I'm still keeping hidden or that I'm still keeping to myself, that I'm not allowing God to touch and to move and to transform. And so, you know, we think about the story of the prodigal son and he comes running home and and he's welcomed by the father. And we resonate with that because we've been welcomed as believers if we've received Christ. But then you have this character of the older brother who's snotty and jealous about how the prodigal son is treated after he's been away for so long. And the father welcomes him back into the fold. And I recognize myself sometimes more in the snotty, arrogant, uh, older brother than I do in the prodigal. I think, you know, when I first came to Christ, I could identify with the prodigal. As I got proud in my faith at times, I would identify more with the older brother. But that's uncomfortable. And so in this story here, we see Jesus going about his business uh, the things that have happened just prior to this, many of them are miracles that have continued to increase the fame of Jesus among the people. And so it, it says as he's walking, as he's just gone about his business, the crowds are moving with him. And then we see, we look at it and we go, oh, tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is hanging out with the, the, the lowest of society. That's That's me. And then, the, ooh, there's those religious people that are pointing their fingers at him and saying, why do you hang out with those people? <clears throat> and yet, I don't know if you spend much time. Hopefully you don't. Let me just encourage you this way. Don't be, be discriminating about where you spend your time in Christian social media and, and media in general uh, related to spiritual things and and people that have a platform they want to speak from because man there's a lot of bananas stuff out there that's just not biblical that's one of the reasons I, I was saying last week I, I saw somebody sent me a clip this week of a sermon where um, the 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 gist of what the pastor was saying was you just need to believe what i'm telling you And they contrasted it to last week when I said, you guys should check out everything I tell you. Like, I'm reading you stuff from the Bible. Hopefully, you bring some form of a Bible with you and that you can read along with me. We have the words up here on the screen, but we could manipulate those. We could make them say what we want. But I'm reading to you out of the Bible, and I encourage you as believers to read your Bible and know that what we're teaching you is actually what's in there. And then that we're not trying to pull meanings out of it that aren't true. But I find that as I observe people around me, some of the people that I know very well that are in ministry alongside me in other churches, I, I get a little cringy sometimes. And then sometimes I recognize it in myself. And I, I pray all the time and I work all the time that I see this becoming less and less, that I don't want to be identified with those who are critiquing Jesus because he's pursuing those who are thought so little of in their society. Do you get what I mean? Um, We touch on it, unfortunately, frequently because it's so much a part of our culture now, but when we start talking about social policies and politics and different people groups and all this kind of stuff, we have just become a country that, that appears to have at least two factions of people who just hate each other. And then there's a whole lot of people in the middle of that that we apparently also hate. People caught in the middle. And I'm, I'm just more and more convicted all the time that this is not the place where the Christian should be standing. The Christian should be standing in the middle and reaching God's love to everyone from the middle to the edges to the fringes to wherever because this is what Christ did for us. He says it here, we're going to touch on it here in just a moment, that he came not for the righteous but for the unrighteous. The sick need a physician and the well don't. And I think unfortunately, particularly in our Western culture, in our Western world, we've really... We've bought into a way of thinking and a way of relating to one another that always comes down to to who's right or who thinks they're right, and then the power that that gives them to be critical or unkind to someone else because they're on the other side of the fence or a different way of thinking or a different way of living. And I don't think that's what the Christian is called to. And we see it in this story. So it says that he went out again beside the sea. I love that. I always love this little verse here because I have this—I don't know—some weird internal primal connection to the sea. Uh, I love it. I, I, Karen and I have talked often about um, you know where we might live when we're old. I get it. We're, we're you know <laughs> we're knocking on the door right now, um, and this is still one option here. And one of the things I love about here is that we can. There's ocean right there. We can drive right down here to Seward, one of our favorite places to go, and hang out by the ocean and fish and do all kinds of things. And we see Jesus here out by the sea again. He's there with his people, uh, the fishermen that he's called. It's interesting that he didn't go around and call a bunch of carpenters, isn't it? I mean, that was his career, but he went and he called fishermen. And so he's down by the sea, and the crowd was coming to him again. Why was the crowd coming? Because they had just seen and heard these amazing, miraculous things that he had done in these passages that come right before this. They wanted to see more. They wanted to see who this guy was. Uh, They were already, as as a groupthink kind of action, what was beginning to happen is what we see culminate kind of right before Jesus crucifixion when he makes the entrance into Jerusalem and they're singing and they're shouting and they're throwing palm branches down on the ground and and celebrating him calling him the king of kings and shouting hosanna and they want to elevate him to this kingship in a in a human way of understanding they think he's going to come and he's going to become their king a political king and wipe out the oppression that they've been under with the Romans. And it's beginning already because the people's understanding of the Messiah isn't quite what God intended. And so they're excited about Jesus. They're beginning to see that he's fulfilling the prophecies that they've learned as they've grown and they've learned in the temple. And that excitement is building. And so he was teaching them. As he passed by, it says that he saw this guy named Levi And appropriately so for the season that we're in, he was a tax collector. Anybody file their taxes yet? Hmm? Really? Jason and I have. (laughs) Get busy. It's time. It's the season. So uh, he sees this guy sitting in a tax booth, and he says to him the same thing that he said that we heard in all those stories of when Jesus called his disciples. He said, follow me. And he did. Again, there's something so compelling about Jesus and what he asked people to do that that they would leave their place of business even and follow after him. And it's interesting too that there's this huge crowd of people that are are swarming after Jesus and wanting to see him do more miracles. They want to hear him teach. They want to see and hear what everyone else has seen and heard. And, and you know, they, they missed out on it, but now they've joined the crowd because they've heard this exciting thing is going on. And then Jesus picks out this guy. And you think about your own encounter with Christ. There was a moment in time where of all the people in the world, God saw you. And out of all the crowd, he said to your heart, follow me. Maybe that's never happened to you. Maybe you're like, I've never had that. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today is the day that as you hear these words, he will be saying to you, follow me. And you'll have to decide, will you do what Levi the tax collector did? Will you do what uh, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew James and, and Philip, those guys did, those first disciples that were called? Will you, will you follow him? But there was something so compelling that Levi, a tax collector, left his booth and followed after Jesus. Now let's talk about the tax collector guy here. There are a lot of opinions about how this worked in the early days, but we don't really have a a perfect picture. But scholars think the closest we can get is that Levi, his name would indicate that he's a Jew. He's not a Roman. He's a Jewish guy working on behalf of the Roman government to collect the taxes from the people. Um, you can imagine, not only because he was collecting taxes, but because he was t- collecting taxes on behalf of those who were oppressing the Jewish people, he was probably not a popular guy. In fact, we see him then in the rest of this text, he's, he's joined together the tax collectors and the sinners, but they're mentioned specifically by themselves. We know from the story of one of the other tax collectors in the Bible that he encounters Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what should I do in order to make up for the wrong that I've done? And Jesus says, everything that you stole through your tax collecting, go and give it back two times over. I'd love to see that in my tax return. Amen? <laughs> and so we do get the idea that these tax collectors are not well respected. They're not liked. Liked, And some of them are apparently corrupt. And so here's Jesus again. This entire sea of people that's following. He goes by and he points out this guy named Levi and says, follow me. And he does. He goes with him. And then we find it, the next verse, this very intimate thing happens. In verse uh, 15, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So it wasn't just Levi the tax collector. There were a bunch of other tax collectors, probably Levi's friends. Tax collector had a lot of money, big party going on, big dinner going on. This would have been a formal type setting, but also very... Uh, relational. It's similar to the pictures that we see of some of the, the Last Supper where the the head of the house or the, the most prominent person in the room would be at the center of a table and there would be a table laid out uh, like this and then two more tables like this and it would be open here so that service could come and place food and move things around and take drinks away and all that kind of stuff. And everyone would sit around the outside edges of that U-shaped table except they would more reclined than sit. They didn't have chairs like we sit in today. They were sitting on these nice plush pillows and reclining at the table, and they were very close to each other and could talk very intimately with one another as they ate and shared food. And this is the scene that is set here. And so the first thing I notice about this, there's three things I want us to to pull out of this this morning, that we see that Jesus does that I think are not only things that we can understand that he does for us or is willing to do for us, but we should also model and do in the world around us. And the first is, as he's walking along by the sea and the crowd is following him and and the bustle is happening and Jesus is teaching, the very first thing that Jesus did was he saw Levi. Levi. What it says in verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. Jesus noticed something about this person, this man, in this moment of time. It was his opportunity to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. And when we think about our own salvation, our own encounters with Jesus Christ, however those have happened... Uh, that you know the time that I've had the opportunity to sit and pray with folks here and and hear them respond to Jesus and accept Christ as Lord of their lives in that moment the same thing is happening to you Jesus in all of the bustle of all the world and the billions of people on the surface of this planet in that moment he sees you and I think we forget how extraordinary that that the God of all the universe sees us, knows us by name, as much as, the Bible Bible says, as much as he values every sparrow and knows when each one falls and hits the ground, it says, how much more does he care for you? I'm always a little... uh, passive aggressive about that whole he numbers the hairs on your head thing. Some of us are some of us are lightening the load for the Heavenly Father. But he knows he sees you and he sees you in detail. The other thing I notice about the fact that he sees Levi is he sees someone who the rest of the people around him would probably reject out of hand and be uninterested in, but Jesus sees his value, not his value to Jesus like, oh, you know what Levi could do for me? He could really fill my my pocketbook because he's a tax collector. no he sees the value of who Levi is having been created by God, as a person, as a living being, as a child of God, he sees The value of Levi. He does the same for us. The second thing I see comes there in verse 15. As he reclined at table in his house. Jesus ate. So he saw him and then he ate with him. Now, I love food. There's no mystery about that. And I get the opportunity to go around and meet with a lot of people. And we often share things over food. There's something intimate about food. It can be anyway. It's not always. But it can be. You know, when you invite someone into your home or you go uh, to a restaurant or you go to their home, you know, you go sit out on a park bench somewhere and you share a meal together of some kind, there's an interaction there that happens that that doesn't really happen in other circumstances and environments. There's a friend of mine this past week that... uh, For a couple of months, we've been saying, hey, man, we need to get together, have lunch, have breakfast, something. And uh, he just had posted this thing about how he was really struggling. And some people had reached out to help him. And I was reminded that, that I had failed to follow through on he and I getting our feet under a table and sitting across from one another to have that interaction and that engagement. Because there's something special about that. You say well that's kind of you know it's eating how big of a deal is that where did where did jesus share the most intimate details of his ministry with his disciples some of his most astounding miracles feeding the 5000 feeding the 5000 it was all about food it was all about the meal he sits down with his disciples and tells them all about the, the end times and what the mission is supposed to be and, and that they're going to be shaken because the temple is going to be destroyed and he's referring to himself at the Last Supper and he tells them all these deep, intimate things that we now treasure today and he's doing it over a meal. When Jesus returns... From the dead, one of the first encounters he has with his disciples is on the the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and he calls them in from their boats, and he's sitting there on the beach with food prepared. There's something intimate about, about this. And it happens again and again in the story of Jesus, this speaking to people about the truths of the kingdom. Over a meal. Now I'm not trying to make that dogmatic, like you gotta share, you gotta you gotta make a, a lunch appointment to share the gospel. But I am saying sometimes food just breaks down some barriers or a cup of coffee. You know, that 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 easy environment. And it shouldn't be ignored. But at the core of it, it's not really about the food. It's about making the space making the time, taking the effort to be close to someone. So we've, we've kind of adopted in <clears throat> American evangelicalism, Protestantism, what do you want, whatever you want to call it. And I'm beginning to see this shift now because we realize it doesn't work. We've adopted a, a very uh, kind of show-oriented proclamation of the gospel where uh, it's it's just, it's exclusively try to get people in the church and some professional gospel sharer will share the gospel with them. Now, there's, some of that works, but we've sort of defaulted to that being our only way that we share the gospel. Uh, I was just at a conference here a few weeks ago and I'm still wrestling with this idea that this one guy was talking about, where, uh, because, you know, we've been talking a lot about personally sharing our faith. And I uh, told you uh, last week, and then <clears throat> we're going to send some information out about uh, some classes that we're going to offer for you here in the next couple of months, where we'll sit down with a, a, a great tool called the Three Circles, teach you how to use it, give you some resources that you can use. It's very simple, very straightforward. It answers the question how can I personally share my faith with someone? And this will help you do that. We've been talking a lot about that. The reality is that uh, it's still going to be hard for a lot of us to do that. Because maybe you're just not wired to have a lot of those personal conversations. And So we still want the church to be a place where you invite people to come. And we will share the gospel. We'll share the good news in some form and give a chance to respond. But in our church culture, especially uh, kind of, you know, Baptists, Assembly of God, Church of Christ, those kind of, it's become almost an exclusive. The only way the gospel ever gets shared is in some large group format like this. And yet we see Jesus here living out the example we're supposed to follow, and he sees someone, he notices them, he sees them for the value that they have in Christ, in himself, He sees their value, and then he gets up close and personal with them. And then lastly, over here on the the tail end of this, we then see the reaction of the religious folks, right? They say to his disciples, because the room's not big enough for everyone who's following Jesus to get in there for dinner, They say to his disciples standing outside, like, ooh, gross. What? Tax collectors? Sinners? Why is Jesus hanging out with those people? The implication, of course, being that I'm so good because I'm a religious person. Shouldn't Jesus be hanging out with me? That's that's what they're saying. We have those words tax collectors and sinners. We go, hmm, what's the difference? Again, we don't know for sure, but we could probably deduce that those who are called sinners are just anybody that the religious folks don't think quite measure up. Anyone who doesn't check all the boxes, speak the right way, live the right way, Look the right way, believe the right way. Some of those things might be true. Maybe they're not living in a way that's good. Maybe they're believing some things that are, that, are, that are really at opposition to what God has taught us and what God has shown us. Okay. Okay. But does that mean we just cross them off? Kick them to the curb? Ignore them? leave them to their own devices? It's not what Jesus does here. He goes to those who are on the fringes, those who are on the edges, those who are on the outside of what's supposed to be the introduction to the kingdom of God. He goes to them to bring them the good news. And he says these words to them because he hears the the muttering. Why is Jesus hanging out with those people? He says, look, you guys, there's there's a play on words here. Don't, don't, Don't take, Jesus does not tell them they're righteous. He's actually trying to provoke them like he would provoke us to consider, who are you in this story? And really, where are you in this story? But he says, I didn't come for the righteous, right, but for the unrighteous. Those who are well don't need a doctor. People who are sick need a doctor, And it's a real quick test there for the religious leaders because some of them, I guarantee you, went, oh, well, good, he's not here for me. Great, because I'm good. So how do you know they thought that? Well, we had one of them who did that literally in a conversation with Jesus. He came to him at night, a religious leader, and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus, knowing that he was a very righteous man, said, keep all the commandments. And he said, oh, I've done that. Really? Really? right? I don't have to explain that. Like, you know, you know, cheat, lie, steal, kill, adultery, you know, the whole list. Take God's name in vain. Ignore the Sabbath. Worship something other than God, you know, make something more important than your relationship with God. I mean, of all those ten things, the Bible tells us there's only one who's ever lived who who kept all ten all the time, and that's the guy talking here right now, Jesus. But just like we know that guy came in the, in the garden and said, oh, yeah, no problem. If that's all I got to do, I got that covered. I guarantee you some of these people said the same. We get a different form of it today in our, our modern culture and maybe people that we hang out with. We get that thing of, well, I've been a really good person. That's basically saying the same thing. I've been a really good person, so I, I think I'll be okay with God. And we have, we want to try to explain to people that the the reality here is that no one in this conversation is righteous. If there were anyone righteous, they wouldn't need a Savior. If there were anyone who was completely well, they would never need a doctor. But the reality is, and we find this, Jesus is actually quoting some scripture from the Old Testament. And, and this is why the statement is so powerful in this moment, because all those guys who are standing around, they're religious leaders, and they know this passage of scripture like this. And so Jesus is kind of poking them a little bit. We find it in Psalms chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. We see it again in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. You got that one, buddy? There it is. Quoting, again, the writer of Romans. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so if we read this story and we're tempted to go, oh, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, so you must not be talking about me. I, I don't need a doctor. I don't need... Then we're faced with the truth of Scripture that everyone is unwell. No one is truly righteous. And so everyone needs an encounter with Jesus. Jesus saw him. Jesus ate with him, got personal. And then Jesus cared about him. I think those are things that we could model in our walk, in our interactions, in our encounters with the people around us. I think back to... A lot of examples that my father showed me when I was growing up that I didn't realize at the time, but looking back, I can see them. I remember one time uh, where Moose's Tooth is right now it used to be a, a barbecue place there called the Barbecue Pit. Anybody? Amen? Anyone? Anyone? Cloudy's Barbecue Pit. Remember that? All right. We'd been over there for something. And we were driving through that little section there. And I remember uh, we whipped into the parking lot there, and it was snowy. It It was this time of year. It was snowy. It was dark. And my dad got out. There was a car that pulled into that parking lot. My dad stopped the car, got out, went over, whipped the door open, and jerked this guy out of the car. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I was like 10 years old. Well, my dad had seen this guy in the car beating the woman that he was with. And my dad, of course, my dad's got a history with his mom being abused by his father, and, and that was just not going to happen. And he, he gave the guy a couple of options, <laughs> which he took. And one of those was that we took that, that woman to some place where she could be safe and left him behind, and then he followed up with her later. I don't know what happened with the rest of that story. I've never asked him. But I remember that moment that, that he jumped to the defense He saw someone with value who was being devalued, and he jumped in there. That's pretty dramatic. There's much simpler times in my own life. Uh, I remember one time we were going with the family down to uh, Twin Dragon. Mongolian barbecue. (laughs) And uh, we got out of the car and began to walk around the front of the building, and there's a a native man laying there on the, the sidewalk who clearly had been beaten up. And he was out of it. And I just kind of encouraged the family to, to go on in. I'm gonna, call, I'm gonna call for help, you know. So I called to get some medical assistance and he was out of it and I was trying to rouse him, trying to determine if he, if he was in serious distress, you know. Um, and he was inebriated, but he'd also been clobbered over the head and had a headwind going on. He woke up and he started to fight me because he thought I was the one that banged him in the head and I was there trying to rob him. And by then the police had showed up scooped him up, took care of him, and took him someplace where he could get medical help and and get clean. But you know, we stood there on that sidewalk and car after car after car just zipped right by. Have I stopped every time I've seen someone in potential distress? No, but a lot, I think. I try to. When I was in high school, There's a young man named Steve Gibbs, who uh, was effeminate. Probably gay, but we didn't talk about that then. I remember standing at my, let me back up. We used to do this thing in choir after choir concerts, like the Friday after we'd have a choir concert, we'd pull out the orange books, you remember? Mrs. Bowman, our music teacher, she would set up the sound system and get a microphone out, a big long cable, because there's a hundred and plus kids in this room just packed in this thing like sardines. And the book was filled with popular songs of the day and songs from the yesteryear like Blowing in the Wind and uh, I'm leaving on a jet plane, songs like that. And then Current Songs of the Day had just all the words in there. And you could go through there, and when it came your turn, you got to pick whatever song you wanted to sing. And then you got the microphone for a little bit and you got to sing a little solo. And for some people, that's the only time they'd ever put their hands on a microphone and hear their voice through a speaker because they weren't going to be up front, you know, out in front doing the big show kind of thing like Brian and I were doing in our days in that program together. Um, But but she wanted them to have the opportunity to know what it was like. And uh, the microphone was going around and I was sitting over here on this side of the class and my buddy Todd who was usually the one I was getting in trouble with was sitting over here on this side of the class in a different row and the microphone went around and I don't remember what song he sang but Steve started to sing and and he had a lisp in his voice and his voice was real light and airy and when they were done everybody clapped that was the rule when they finished their little song you clapped and I looked over at Todd and he looked at me and we got that Smart Alec look on our face and we both went like this. We were so proud of ourselves. The next sound I heard was a sound that we didn't hear often, but when we heard it, we knew things were about to go down, and that was Cam Bowman's two hands slamming down on the top of her piano. Bang! She stood up. She's not very tall, but she was big. If you get my drift, she was like, she would get you. She stood up and then she pointed her finger out at us. She didn't point at me. She didn't point at Todd, but I knew exactly who she was talking to. And she said, I don't know how it is where you're from, but in here, everybody matters. And man, that, that just transformed something in me in that moment. I was so ashamed. I've told her that story since. Uh, she remembers that day which is awful. <laughs> I was hoping she said, oh, I don't remember that at all. She's like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> Great. I'm so proud. So several weeks later, I'm at my locker down just off the front foyer. There's a set of lockers right there. It's after school, been some activity, you know. And I hear this ruckus behind me. I turn around, and, and Steve is up against the Ceramic tile wall and some other guys are shoving him and, and slapping him and he's got blood running down his face and they're calling him Every name you can think of that you would call someone that you think maybe is gay or is not like you and I wanted to walk away But I remembered He's one of us in the choir. He's part of us Mrs. Bowman said In here, everybody matters. And so I just waded into the middle of that group of guys and started throwing elbows and shoving guys aside. And then somebody else came in and joined me, and we we protected Steve for a moment. Never said a word to each other. Just shoved everybody back and allowed him to walk on, and he walked off in shame and sadness. I look back now, and I'm like, I'm glad I did that. I wish I'd done more. Because Steve is a guy... Who needed to know that he had value because everything else was telling him he was unvalued so there's people all around us all in the world today that are that are that are begging to be validated in some way and they're seeking all kinds of other ways to be validated fame money uh, success at work um relationships, you know, casual relationships, just trying to, to, to feel some kind of love and affection from somebody, but, but never anything that's real or that's deep. Sometimes people find their validation in, in being empowered over other people, even if they're not. I was just talking to a friend last week who had a, a son who was working at a, a local fast food place, and the, one of the shift managers there that happened to be on his shift just treated this kid like garbage. And when they would first talked about it, he was like, oh, you know, it was like, oh, you're having some trouble at work. You know, you got to suck it up. You got to, you know, muscle through it. And then he just watched his kid, his attitude just get really terrible. And he's like, what is going on? He said, this thing at work. He says, what do you mean this thing at work? And then he, so then he just starts telling him everything that's happened and how this person's treating him at work and devaluing him. And then dad's like, oh, no, 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 that's not how this is going to go down. You're going to quit that job. And when you do quit that job, I'm coming in with you. and We're going to have a conversation. And, you know, this, this, this guy that's at this, this shift lead management level, find out he's getting all kinds of garbage from the guy above him, and he's getting all kinds of garbage from the guy above him because nobody values anybody in that scenario. And Jesus calls us to something else because the fact of the matter is it's what he's offered to us because we are all unwell. We are all unrighteous. And he comes to us and offers to speak to us about our value, to get up close and personal with us, and to show us that we are loved. And if you want that, you've never had that from God, and you want that, today could be your day. Just reach out to him right now. Pray in your heart. God, I want to know you. I want you to save me. I I know that i I'm not perfect like anybody else isn't perfect. I've done I've done wrong. So God forgive me for that. But come in. Put your spirit into my heart. Save me. Because I need. I need a spiritual doctor because I'm sick just like everybody else is. That's what he offers to each of us through the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the same message we should be communicating to all those that we see around us, especially those who are marginalized and those who are pushed to the edges, those who are left out See the value in yourself, see the value in others, and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his love to shine upon you and may he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. If this morning you uh, you heard those words about God values you and you've never had that before you've never sensed that before you've never heard his voice speaking to you before like he did with this guy Levi maybe he's speaking to you today if you kind of prayed that prayer along with me as I was talking about it then I'd love to talk with you before you leave today because that is the moment where God wants to save you. And I want to make sure that you understand that and that you receive that.